Well, good morning. Man, how many of you have been enjoying the Honda Classic? Anybody been out to the Honda Classic enjoying? How many of you live in PJ National? Can't just wait for it to be over. Okay. Man, my wife and I, someone gave us some tickets, and we got a chance to go by yesterday, and we had a ball. We'd really had a good time. It's so beautiful out, you know, and, and I'm always amazed by the game and just the people's talents and and the golf's an interesting sport. You got real little guys that can hit the ball, and you got these real big guys you think are gonna kill the ball and they can't, you know. It's just it's an amazing game. And the thing that's so intriguing to me about the game is how, you know, many of you, men and women both, you'll spend four to six hours every week, some of you twice a week, searching for that little ball, you know? It's all about trying to find that ball. You hit the ball and then you chase after it and you try to find it. And we were there with all these crowds up in the stands looking down, you know, and you're constantly trying to look and find that little ball. And, you know, in many ways, that's kind of the way life is. We kind of go through life searching, looking, trying to find our purpose, our meaning, why, why we're here, why we exist, what is life all about. We're, we're searching for that little ball, that, that little thing called purpose and, and reason for our existence. And some of us, we search through our whole lives, and we, we really never find it. And we're empty, and we struggle. But we keep searching and keep looking. And, um, and that's the way many of us are. We're searching, trying to find that one thing that really gives us meaning, you know. Uh, that one thing, like, like watching TV, right? Isn't that the purpose for living? That's some of our purposes for living. Or, or maybe it's, it's playing cards. You know, I, I love playing cards. I don't get to play much. I love playing one game especially. What do you, what do you think my favorite card game is? I thought we'd play a little cards here this morning. Uh, go fish, war, yeah, yeah, is that my favorite card game? Matter of fact, my favorite card game, you got to have some of these to play my favorite card game. What are these things called? Chips, poker chips. I don't know if we can use the word poker in church, but they're chips. Um, and, um, and what do chips represent? Money, money, lots, lots of money. Chips represent lots of money. And so in order to play my favorite game, you got to have a lot of chips and you got to have a, a lot of money. Matter of fact, isn't this a great-looking case of, of poker chips? This thing's heavy. This is the real deal. Somebody in the church gave my wife and I this as a Christmas present. Yeah, you know, I don't know what it says about our church or about our members or about our pastor, you know. But, uh, you know, I, I love it. It's heavy. It's, it's the real deal. But guess what you think my, my uh, favorite game is? What's it called? called Texas Hold'em, right? That's the, that's the only poker game that's out there worth playing. I think I need to put this over here. It kind of bothers me having it up there by the pulpit, but let's just stick it over there. Um, and, um, and, and now you need to understand something. When it comes to playing Texas Hold'em, I never play for money, all right? So you can just be at peace. I, I, I don't pay for... Just that one time I played for money. And uh, <laughs> yes... I won the 2013 Poker Championship. See all that money there? Wouldn't that be nice? That's a fraud, right? Those aren't my arms. Can't you tell by looking at them? I wish I had arms like Charbel, all, you know, toned like that. But uh, so my favorite game is Texas Hold'em. And, uh, and playing poker, playing any game, you know, I think anything that deals with money or chips, it's the allurement of making big money, is always inviting to us. It can be very addictive. It can be very contagious, the allurement of making big money without working for it can be enticing, right? And we've all heard those stories of different people, you know, that one guy, that, that college student, he took his tuition, didn't tell mom and dad that it was their money, and he went to Las Vegas, right? You read the story? And he won a million bucks, you know? 
And then you've heard about that guy that's made millions. He was in law school, had a promising career, and he left law school and he began to play Texas Hold'em professionally, and he's made millions and millions and millions of dollars. We've, we've all heard those stories and, and the allurement of making money without having to work for it. I mean, playing cards, it's, you know, in Texas Hold'em, you've got to think a little bit, but you ain't working much, right? And, uh, and to make, it, it's very enticing. And that's why Jesus, in Luke chapter 8, he said, Beware of the deceitfulness of riches. Beware of the deceitfulness of riches. Because they don't always deliver on what they promise. You know, we spend our life trying to find that one thing and trying to find purpose and, and chasing the almighty American dollar, you know, but it doesn't deliver. And we've all heard stories of people who found it, you know. I mean, they uh, made it big and won it big, but then what happened to them? Their marriages fall apart. The family's feuding all the time between themselves. They don't trust each other. They, there's jealousy. There's just self-destruction. We've all heard those stories, seen those stories. But, you know, the one thing I really enjoy about Texas Hold'em, there is that thing what's called, you know, going all in. Some of you need to play cards more. It's called going all in. And there's that place in the game where you're, you're thinking, you know, are you tired and you want to quit, you know? Or, you know, are you willing to risk it all? Are you willing to bluff it all? But you make that choice. Am I going to go all in? And that's the big time in, in the game when you take that risk and with risk comes reward that you go all in. What's the one thing in life that you're willing to go all in for? What's the one thing that you're willing to gamble your life on? Two things I find that most of us pursue. You can look at all the philosophies, religion in the world. They really come down to two different paths. One path is this. I call it the great gamble of self-gratification. Self-gratification. You know, every day of our lives, we are bombarded. We're bombarded with millions of different ways <clears throat> that we're supposed to find happiness we're bombarded over and again over and over again that, that life is all about me that life is all about my happiness we're told it again and again to to indulge ourselves to pamper ourselves to fulfill your your dreams and your desires pursue your pleasures and happiness satisfy your appetites you deserve it right you deserve it it's all about me it's all about my happiness. Say it with me. It's all about me. And it's all about me. No, not you. It's all about me, right? And it's all about my happiness. And we hear this constantly, constantly. And so we take this gamble and we jump on this life of, of self-gratification. We buy into this lie that it's really just all about me. I mean, you listen to talk shows today. What are talk shows all about? It's all about me. It's all about, you know, my happiness. And if I don't take care of me, then who's going to take care of me, right? And, and what is a lot of our, our books today that are real popular, our self-help books, it's, it's all about me. It's all about my happiness. It's all about my needs and my wants and, and uh, me meeting them. And what do a lot of our churches talk about these days? God kind of exists to bless me, right? It's all about me. <laughs> it's all about my happiness, and if I don't take care of me, who's going to take care of me? Some of us, if not most of us, we've kind of jumped into this pool of living, chasing the ball of self-gratification. And kind of like King Solomon, he took a swan dive into the pool of self-gratification. Many of us, we're, we're doing the same. If we're honest this morning, you know, it's life's all about me and it's, life's all about my happiness. 
So if you've got your Bible, your electronic device, turn with me over to Ecclesiastes chapter 2. And as you're turning there, let me tell you about Solomon. King Solomon, he was kind of born with a silver spoon in his mouth. He was born into wealth and power. He was the second son of King David and Bathsheba. And he followed in his father's footsteps. He became king of Israel. Now, when David was king, he was probably the greatest king of all time. But uh, when David was reigning, he had a lot of division and fighting going on. And then when King Solomon came in for 40 years, it was one nation. One of the great days in the life of the nation of Israel was this guy by the name of Solomon, David's son. And he built the temple at Mount Moriah in Jerusalem while he was there. And there came a time where God asked Solomon, what do you want? I'll give you one thing. And Solomon asked for what? Wisdom. And he was one of the wisest men to have ever lived. And God gifted him with unsurpassed wisdom. But yet Solomon, in all his wisdom, chose the path of self-gratification. It's all about me and my happiness and my wants and my desires. And we read about that. Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 1. I said to myself, Solomon said to myself, Self, come on, let's try what? Pleasure. Let's look for the good things in life. And after much thought, I decided to cheer myself with, with wine. Today it might be smoking something, doing something. I, I don't know the language for all that stuff. But, um, you know, trying to find pleasure, cheering ourselves with, with drugs. I tried to experience the only happiness most people find during their brief life in this world. I also tried to find, what's the word? Meaning. What's he looking for? He's trying to find meaning. He's trying to find that little white ball, you know. He's looking for meaning and purpose. And I, and I tried to find meaning and purpose by building huge homes, plural. It's not one house. This guy was building mansions and nothing wrong with mansions nothing wrong with having a couple houses but something's wrong with it when you begin to try to find your meaning and your purpose in stuff so i try to find meaning by building huge homes for myself and by planting beautiful vineyards i mean solomon had his own winery going you know he probably had his own bottles with his picture on the bottle and stuff you know and then verse five he says man i i made gardens and parks Everyone needs their own park in their backyard, botanica garden. Fulfilling them with, with all kinds of fruit trees, and I built reservoirs to collect the water and to irrigate my many flourishing groves. You know, you read this and you think, man, is the guy done yet? And he's on this kind of this self-gratification binge, you know, is he, is he done yet? See, that's the problem. When we buy into lie and this thought that stuff is going to make me happy, and we just, we get on this binge and we just go, 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 go. Spin, 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 spin. Bye, 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 bye. And it never ends. It never ends. You rarely stop. You just want more and more and more, right? You've been there. I've been there. Verse 7. So what Solomon do? He said, man, I bought some slaves, both men and women. And others were born into my household. I also own large herds of, and flocks more than any of the kings who had lived in Jerusalem before me. I collected great sums of silver and gold, the treasures of many kings and providences. Is he done yet? What do you do? Listen to this one. What do you do? He said, I hired wonderful singers, both men and women. Do you understand what he's saying here? You know, he just didn't download his own music. He bought his own rock band. 
I mean, he's got his own He doesn't just attend the opera. He buys the opera. All right? And I had many, many. I had many. What's the word? Many. He had many what? Beautiful. Say it again, guys. Beautiful concubines. I had everything a man could desire. Self-gratification leads to self-absorption. Can you say that with me? Self-gratification leads to self-absorption. Solomon, get this, he had 700 wives and 300 concubines. That's kind of going over the top, isn't it? You know, self-gratification leads to self-absorption. And self-absorption leads to self-destruction. If you've got 700 wives and 300 concubines, that means you've got 1,000 credit card bills. You know, that is destruction. You know, can you imagine loading up the girls to go to the garden mall? You know, do a little shopping together. Or maybe you go to the outlet mall, the New Palm Beach outlet mall, you know. But I guess if you can afford a thousand girls, you probably just go to Worth Avenue, right? You know, self-absorption leads to self-destruction. You know, when I read and hear the stories, and, and by no means do I, I share these stories to look down and to judge these people. I share these stories, and you know the stories, you hear the stories, to learn from them and to learn where self-gratification and self-absorption leads. You know, when I hear and, and read the stories of Charlie Sheen, Lindsay Lohan, Justin Bieber, Tiger Woods, saw him play yesterday, Bill Clinton, we can quickly see where self-gratification leads. It leads to self-destruction. Solomon kind of summarizes, and in verse 9 he says this, So I began, so I became, get this, greater than all who lived in Jerusalem before me, and my what? My wisdom never failed me. Yeah, right. You got a thousand wives, a thousand women, and your wisdom has never failed you? You see, self-absorption leads to self-denial. You can add that one. It's not in your notes. That's free, matter of fact. Um, Self-absorption. What does it lead to? Look at Charlie Sheen. What does it lead to? What? Self-denial. Solomon's in denial. He's in absorption. He's into feeding himself. He's into his ego. And my wisdom never failed me. And anything I wanted, I would take. I designed myself no pleasure. I even found great pleasure in hard work, performance, reward. The satisfaction of a job well done. A reward for all my labors. But as I looked at everything I had worked so hard to accomplish, it was so, what's the word? Meaningless. Like chasing after the wind. There was nothing really worthwhile anywhere. You see, self-gratification leads to self-absorption. Self-absorption leads to self-destruction. And self-destruction leads to self-denial. And self-denial leads to an empty life. It's like chasing after the wind. Have you ever chased after the wind? I mean, once when you think you got it, it moves, right? I mean, it's like chasing after that little white ball. You know, you keep chasing and hitting it and chasing after it. It just keeps going. Um, And you don't find it. That's what Solomon's saying. Every time we believe this lie that life is all about me, that life is all about my happiness, 
We're chasing the wind, and it leads to an empty life of pain and disappointment. And what could have been? You know, the sad thing about the stories of Charlie Sheen and Lindsay and Justin and Tiger and Bill, you know the sad thing about the stories is what could have been. I mean, these were gifted, talented men and women. Bill Clinton's brilliant. What could have been if it wasn't for they took the gamble of self-gratification? What, what could have been? You see, we were not created by God to chase after the wind. There's something bigger, there's something better, there's a, a better path, there's a better way than just chasing after the wind, than just living for self and being obsessed with self and obsessed with my happiness and my wants and my desires. God, our creator, has created us and he's given us a higher calling, a higher purpose, a higher meaning and value, something that lasts, something of significance, something that we all want. Now, I find that too many people think that, um, you know, well, okay, yeah, all right, I'm with you, Raymond, with you, Dr. Ray. You know, self-gratification really does lead to a bad path, and so, all right, I'm all in with God, but what does that look like? I mean, what, what is God doing right now? Is he just like, like hanging out on the edge of the universe, listening to some really good worship music like Chris Tomlin or something? Or maybe he's just listening to someone teach like Andy Stanley. He's really good. Is that what God's doing? No. What is God doing? You read your Bible. 24-7, God's all about redeeming and saving his lost and broken creation. God's all about trying to pursue you. He's all about trying to pursue men and women, boys and girls, to help them live a life of purpose, to help them not to choose to go down this path of just it's all about me and to go down a bigger path, a higher calling. A path of dying to ourselves and living for Christ. It's a, it's a different path. It's the path of servanthood. Servanthood. God wants to reclaim and redeem his broken world. There are hurting people every day of our lives all around us. And God wants us to serve them and to think of them and to love them and to pick up the towel, and to be a servant leader, not a self-leader. That's right. So you got the great gamble. You got the great gamble of, uh, what was the first one? The great gamble of self-gratification, and then you have the great gamble of servanthood. Servanthood. And that's kind of a scary word. It's kind of a radical word. You know, this whole concept that the way up the way to succeed in life is the way down. But that's exactly what Jesus taught. Jesus said this in Mark 9, 35. He sat down, he called the 12 disciples over to him, and he said, listen, guys, whoever wants to be what? Whoever wants to be first, whoever wants to be successful, whoever wants to be the top dog, whoever wants to have a, a role in a position of importance and value, whoever wants to be first must take last place and be the servant What's it say? I love this. Jesus is so incredible. You need to be the servant of everyone else. And you might read that verse and think, wow, isn't Jesus a little extreme? Yeah. He goes on from this chapter and he talks about denying ourselves and saying no to ourselves and 
killing ourselves in a sense figuratively so we don't live with this it's all about me and my world and my wants and my desires and we start living for everyone else we live to serve we live to serve now Peter Peter remember that guy not Peter his name is Peter by the way the apostle Peter he spoke up and he asked this he says We've given up everything to follow you. Some of you might be thinking that right now, you know. You know, Peter's saying, hey, we used to be fishermen. We gave up the fishing business to follow you. And then what's he say? What will we get? He still hasn't got it, has he? He said, man, what's in it for me? You know, we're denying ourselves and we're sacrificing and we're following you. What's in it for me? And Jesus must have just said, Peter, don't you understand that the, the way up is the way down? True personal fulfillment comes through a towel, not through self-gratification. And one time it got so bad that these 12 guys, these 12 disciples, they began to fight among themselves on who would be the best, who would be the greatest, who would have the life of greatest prominence, who would have the biggest yacht, the biggest house, Sign the most autographs. Give the pastor the largest churches. You know, they, they were arguing among themselves who would be first and who would be the greatest. And we're just like Jesus, aren't we? No. <laughs> we're just like those disciples. We're just like them. We are more concerned with our wants and our needs than the wants and the needs of others. So Jesus made it very clear. He knew that his death was imminent. He only had a day left. They didn't know it. He was telling it. They didn't get it. And so Jesus calls a party. He rents a room. He rents this upper room. And he says, hey guys, we're going to get together and we're going to celebrate together this, this Passover, the Passover feast. So he rents the upper room, but he forgets to get the help there. You know, this, this towel guy didn't show up. Now, when you rent a room, or you had a room, or you had dinner in those days, the, the area, uh, the table, usually was very low to the ground, like 18 to 12 inches above the ground. People didn't have chairs back then. They would sit on the ground, and basically, they really would recline more on the ground. They'd be laying on their side, and as you laid on your side, guess what would stick in your neighbor's face? What? Your feet. And so it was the custom in those days that after you'd come off these dirty, muddy roads, you'd walk in, and in most homes, they would have a servant this towel guy, this towel girl, and their job was to wash your feet. And so you show up at the house, and this towel guy comes up, and he has a basin, and he has a towel, and he washes your dirty feet. Now, he was kind of being self-serving because he realized if he doesn't wash your feet, you're going to take all that mud into the house, right, and, and create more work for him. So he'd show up at the door, and he'd have the basin, and he would kneel down, and he would have you put your feet in the, in, in, into the basin, and he'd take the towel, dry your feet off, and you're good to go. So here are these disciples, probably Peter, he was the leader, he probably comes in first. Peter walks into the room and, and he sees the basin, but where's that foot washing guy? You know, and he probably looks at his own feet and thinks, you know, I'm Peter. Upon this rock, God's going to build his church. And so Peter's probably looking around the table and thinking, now where do you think Jesus would sit? And I need to sit next to Jesus, right? And then comes in James and John, and they're like, kind of like in the inner circle. And they're probably thinking to themselves, you know, well, 
you know, if Peter didn't wash his feet, I'm not going to wash my feet. And I'm certainly not going to wash my brother John's feet. You know, and so they look around the table and they probably pick their, the seats they want to sit and they sit down. And then the other disciples walk in and they're probably thinking, well, Peter, James, and John didn't bother to wash their feet and we're not going to wash our feet. And so they all come in. So you've got these 12 disciples all sitting around this big, huge table ready for the Passover meal and they all got dirty, stinky, muddy feet. And then Jesus walks into the room and probably by design, he realizes the foot washing guy's not there. No foot washing guy. And he looks at the basin, and he probably looks at his disciples, and he looks at their feet. And he goes over, and he picks up this basin with his towel. He takes the towel, basically, and kind of wraps it around himself the way the servants did in those days. And he would kneel down. And then all of a sudden, now he's going from disciple to disciple to disciple. And he's washing their feet and drying their feet off. And then he goes to the next one. He's washing their feet, drying the feet. You get the scene, right? Can you see what's happening here? I bet you you could hear a pen drop in the room. How do you think the disciples were feeling? I mean, this is Jesus. This is the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's washing my feet. And I bet those guys were feeling some guilt and conviction and shame because they should have thought of washing his feet. I mean, he was Jesus. But yet they're too preoccupied with what's in it for me and my life and my best seat and who cares about everybody else to think of other people. So Jesus washes their feet. That's the scene. Let's pick up in John chapter uh, 13. John 13. Verse 12. Jesus says, Do you understand what I was doing? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, because that's what I am. And since I, your Lord, sovereign, supreme one, and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I have given you an example to, what's the word? Follow. Do as I have done to you. Servanthood is an example to be followed. Every one of us who calls ourselves a follower of Jesus Christ, a Christian, we're to live our lives washing each other's feet. Now, I arrived this morning and Brent didn't offer to wash my feet. So I don't know what the deal is and I didn't really offer to wash his feet either. Um, so what, what does that mean in our context? We're supposed to open some pedicure facial companies, you know, and, and be taking care of each other's feet. No, that's not that. I think we're missing the whole point. Jesus is saying, if you're a Christ follower, if Jesus Christ really is the Lord of your life, you're going to quit living your life chasing that little ball. Quit trying to believe this lie that you're going to be happy by buying stuff and having stuff and living for yourself. You're going to realize that, that people are more important. What God's about is reclaiming broken, lost people. That's what God's about. That's what he cares about. And he wants us to join him in reclaiming and sharing the gospel. He wants us to join him in being servants and serving other people. And can I be candid? When was the last time that you took those invite cards that Brent referred to that you sat down on? When was the last time that you invited someone to church? 
When was the last time you walked into church and you said, God, how can I serve you? I'm here today. This is your bride. This is your church. How can I serve? What can I do today? How can I serve? See, we get so caught up in our own little worlds and where we're going to lunch and what we're doing that we don't stop and serve each other. We don't stop and encourage each other. It's all about me. It's all about you. Servanthood is an example to be followed. Jesus is saying that the distinct characteristic of people who bear his name, that they will serve each other, that they will live beyond themselves, beyond their own petty concerns about social status and titles and positions and authority. They'll live beyond my wants and my desires. Jesus is saying, I'm calling you, calling every single one of you who calls yourself a Christian to serve those around you. You see, servanthood leads to God's blessing. When we serve others, we discover our purpose. We discover our calling. We discover what God wants to do. God wants to use you. God wants you to be the hands and feet of Jesus Christ. Jesus continues on in verse 16. He says, I tell you the truth. I love this, especially in light of last week's message and some of the controversy it created. This is the key right here. Understanding this will help deal with that controversy. I tell you the truth. Slaves are not greater than their master, nor is the messenger more important than the one who sends the message. Jesus said this throughout his life, and I'm telling you, this message was in such contradiction to the culture of his day. Jesus repeatedly was saying over and over again that there is no superiority and there's no inferiority. There's none. Regardless of your role and your function, you're not superior, you're not better. So when you go out to eat and you're going to tip your, your waitress or your waiter and how you treat them, they're not inferior to you because they're serving you. There's no superiority or inferiority in God's kingdom. And then look at verse 17. Now that you know these things, God will do what? He'll bless you for what? Hearing about them, going to church, and listening about it. He's going to bless you if you do what? You got to do it. Got to do it. If you choose to be a blessing, you will be blessed. Jesus is making a, a, a cross the board category statement that if we choose to truly be servants of Jesus Christ, that he will bless us. He'll meet our needs. God's divine favor will fall on those who take up the towel and live the way Jesus lived and, and the way Jesus demonstrated the way we're supposed to live. Servanthood leads to God's blessing. Something good will come your way when you live beyond your own self-interest. Now let me be clear here. I am not talking about being a codependent. You all know what a codependent is? You know, someone who's dependent upon others in order to feel good about themselves. We're not trying to advocate codependency here. We're not trying to advocate uh, approval here or being a, a people pleaser here. That's not what we're talking about. And, and some of you are more prone to that because of a, maybe a hollow self. You want people's approval of you all the time. And so you're serving, you're doing things because you want people to like you. We're not talking about codependency. We're not talking about being a people pleaser. We're not talking about abuse. 
We're not saying you're supposed to let people run over you, take advantage of you, abuse you, and use you, and, and spit you out. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about serving your Creator. We're talking about entering your day and living your life with such an attitude that you realize that there is a Creator, and His name is God, and Christ gave His life for you. And because you love what Christ has done, you willfully live your life every day being a servant being the hands and feet of Jesus, touching people, loving people, thinking of other people, being positive, being encouraging, praying, supporting, helping, being a true servant of Jesus Christ. You see, there's a universal principle out there and it goes like this. If you fill up someone else's bucket, God will fill up yours and you'll feel better. And I know that's an oxymoron. I know that all about me, philosophy, idea, you know. That's why it doesn't work. We need to think of others. And that's a choice that you can make. You can make this morning. You can choose the great gamble of self-gratification or you can choose the great reward of servanthood. But it's your choice. And you can make that choice this morning. But you know the one thing that's going to keep most of you from really making that choice and really picking up the towel? In order to pick up the towel of servanthood, you've got to let something down. You've got to let go of this self-gratification, it's all about me and my happiness theology. In order to pick up the towel, you've got to surrender. You've got to surrender your will, your life, your wants, your desires to your Creator. To Jesus Christ to realize that you're living for a higher calling than just chasing a ball and making a buck you're living to be the hands and feet of Jesus Christ to make a difference every day of your life and the lives of the people around you so I challenge you this morning to go all in to say God I'm in I'm going to surrender it all. I'm going to let go of it all. And I'm just all in. I'm going to serve you and follow you. I'm going to take the great gamble of servanthood. And I want to tell you something. I know many mornings I wake up and I say, God, you know, not many is an exaggeration. Some mornings I wake up and say, God, I just got too much on my plate. I can't do this. I can't deal with this. I can't make these decisions now. And God just gives me his strength and his grace and his love. He just shows up when I open up. Can we bow our heads in prayer? With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, can you just pray silently? Can you just say right now and say those words, God, I'm all in? God, I'm all in. And maybe this morning you need to say, God, you know, I've kind of gotten off track. I've been buying into the popular philosophy of today that it's all about me. It's all about my happiness. God, I want to take the great gamble of servanthood. God, I want your favor in my life. Can you pray right now and say, God, I surrender it all. I surrender my pride. I surrender my heart. I surrender my dreams. I surrender my rights. I surrender my desires. I lay it all down. And I want to pick up that towel of servanthood. Can you pray that this morning? Can you give God your heart? Can you reflect 
on God's great love for you and how Jesus Christ, he laid it all down. He surrendered his life so that we might live and so that we might not just live for ourselves, that we might live for him, that we might live for a higher calling. Maybe this morning for the first time in your life, you need to open up your your heart to Jesus Christ to be your Lord and your Savior. And maybe right now you just need to come clean and say, God, I acknowledge my sins. I invite Christ to come into my life right now. Touch me. Change me.